Alright y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. Class, the bell has rung. Yeah! I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Today we're going to talk about some of my favorite gospel hip hop artists from back in the day, those days being around the early 1990s. I'm talking chiefly SFC, Freedom of Soul, Dynamic Twins, D Boy, along with their various DJs, producers, and other associates at the time. Here to help me reminisce is frequent guest back by the woodpile, John J. Thompson. A man who has had quite a few hats on his head over the years, including the ones you wear when you're running the magazine True Tunes, authoring a couple of books, one called Raised by Wolves, being in a band called The Wayside, so on and so forth. We start by giving probably more history than one might care to know about one of the better hip hop labels at that time. I'm like cool and calm, sometimes mellow, brush my teeth so they don't turn yellow, a little right card so I won't smell and I'm praising God cause I'm Brainstorm Artists International, in my opinion, had the the best roster of hip-hop, whether it be Christian or secular. Wow. So, according to your memory, how did Brainstorm, the label, come about? The key guys, as I recall, were Gene Eugene from Adam again, or Gene Andrusco was his real last name, but everybody knew him as Gene Eugene, and Joey Taylor, Ojo, from Undercover. I'm sure there were other people involved, you know, that were helping, but... They were the two that I always knew as being involved. Prior to Brainstorm, there had been a label called Broken Records. Broken had had something to do with Maranatha music. And again, this is all, I don't have all my research in front of me. I, I did actually research this when I did the Raised by Wolves book, but that's almost 20 years ago. And actually, I think I even got some of it wrong because depending on who you talk to, they all had a different perspective on what was what. And I was just talking to Chuck Fromm. Chuck was one of the linchpin key guys at Maranatha Music. He was in charge of all of that stuff. And he was telling me some stuff about how that went down. That This was just a couple weeks ago when he was in town for a conference. And that was new information. So whenever I get around to updating the Raised by Wolves book, I will get the story. Which you are going to. I really hope to, yeah, very soon. From what I understand, if you go back to the 70s, Calvary Chapel, which had Maranatha Music, started this thing that they called the Ministry Resource Center, or Center, MRC. And there's actually a punk record called What's Shaken that was a really cool record that had the very first appearances of bands like Youth Choir and Crumbacher and I think Alter Boys. Um, uh, it was a compilation though, so just single songs from those artists were on there. Um, but that was... Uh, MRC, Ministry Resource Center, and the concept was to equip and start these bands or ministries out, you know, help them with recording time, help them get their feet under them, right? And so then out of that MRC, there evolved somehow or another a label that became Broken Records. In fact, I have a record in my office I could go grab and show you that now that I think about it, it's sitting right on top of my speaker, which on one side is a 77 song, and on the other side, I think, is an undercover song. And it's a broken 45 promotional record. That was probably something Word had done, because Word was the distributor of all of that stuff. So back when rock and alternative music was so incredibly rare and so brand new to the Christian space, 
Broken Records, which is such a genius name, I can't believe nobody else had, in fact, maybe somebody had used it, but not in our world. But Broken became that rock alternative thing, and so the Alter Boys were on Broken, and Undercover, and you know, some of those things. Now, at some point along the way, and I don't know why or how, but I, most of these stories involve people being upset with each other, and so that's why <laughs> you, you, know, you, hear the, you hear things from different perspectives. But at some point, Gene and Joey split off and started Brainstorm, and it has at least its creative DNA in Broken Records, if nothing else. It might have actually had something else on a business level connected to Broken, but I don't know that that's true. The perception to a lot of us was that it was an extension of the cool thing that was going on at Broken Records. But another side of it is that Broken Records, a guy named Jimmy Kempner was involved with Ministry Resource Center and Calvary Chapel and all of those things. He ended up also, I'm pretty sure, involved with Broken Records. And then he ended up running Frontline Records. So when you look at the family tree of all this Southern California kind of faith-based rock alternative stuff, Frontline goes off in, in about 1986, I think, or 85. They become a new thing and I think kind of came out of what Broken Records was. And then Brainstorm, a little bit later, becomes something else. Generally speaking, I think it's safe to say while Frontline put out some great music, they also put out some pretty lame music. And I think if you were to do a ratio, brainstorm releases of really good to not so good would be a lot more favorable than right. most of the labels at the time. It's one of those cases whenever I saw their emblem stamped on the back, I, and I had the money, I would buy it. No matter. You I trust that if Gene and Joey said it was good enough. Absolutely, yeah. I didn't know what it was right. half the time, and it was never disappointing. Right. You know. So just give me a mic, a glass of Sprite, a sign of PA, and I'll be on my way. Don't worry about the fee if you can't pay me. Just fly me there, and I'll do it for free, because I'm all about preaching, all about teaching. One of my goals as a young artist back then, that was a label I wanted to be on. Mm -hmm. So when I got a phone call, I can't remember if it was the same day or if it was a separated by a couple of days, but I got calls from both Gene and Joey saying they really liked this new record I had finished and they were interested in putting it out on Brainstorm. Dang. I was just like beside myself, like I have arrived. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the, the business aspect of the deal didn't work out. What was funny was I got a voicemail, and man, I wish I still had this, but it was from Gene. And he said, in his typically droll kind of voice, you know, <clears throat> John, this is Gene Eugene. I've been listening to this CD you sent, and it's very good. It's much better than I expected, and I, I'm, I, you know, I really like it, and I'd like to talk to you. I think we could put this out, but your band name is terrible. <laughs> the band was called Vague. He's like, Vague? Vague, yeah. He's like, you've got to change the band name. But if you're willing to change your band name, I'm willing to put your record out. And I just was like, I'll, I'll call my band Gene Eugene is Awesome. If you're <laughs> and then Joey called me like right away and he said, hey, I really like this record, and, but you gotta change your band name. <laughs> so it was, you know, I said, I said, I want everybody in the world to know my band will have a different name by midnight. Uh, and we became The Wayside. But. I'm on the 
the principalities, man. I line them off from here to Cincinnati and Eureka, Topeka, and also Costa Rica. Put this in your F-P-E-A-K-E-R, speak crazy. Super, MC Super, see your black bosses in your speaker for me. So the first hip-hop record that I remember from Brainstorm that just blew me away, um, the end of being the first of many, was SFC's, which stands for Soldiers for Christ, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a Save Man in a Jungle. Yeah, that was, that was killer. <laughs> but Chris Cooper was the creative guy behind SFC. I mean, he's been known as Super Chemist for like a long time. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, Chris brought a level of sophistication and groove and intellect to, to that stuff that was definitely the deep end of the pool and it was and it was evident on that record and then it just got better and better as time went one of the tracks i remember off of that one was i think actually adam again or at least the rhythm section played on yeah too much chemistry i think it was the song. oh yeah 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 oh that's a great one yeah Turn up the value, pack the concrete, sweet pizzazz, hip hop with the jazz, taking you way back, live band with the rhyme. 79 was when I first wrote mine, up, glory was the story, but not anymore, I'm picking lyrics for Christ, coming for my ice You know, the thing about Chris that always struck me was, you know, back in the earlier, it seems like those were the early days compared to now of hip hop, but back then it seemed like a mature genre, but yeah. it really wasn't. And there was a lot of posturing in the hip-hop space just like in the metal space mm -hmm. and to me it was um, kind of being from the alternative rock that was really my comfort zone and in alternative music we like to think of ourselves as being sort of separate from that we were the blue jeans people now I look back at the pictures and we were doing it our same way you know, right. just in our own way but the hip-hop space had its hairstyles and its fashion sense just like the metal space did but Chris definitely from the beginning seemed to be above all of that stuff. Like he didn't care nearly as much about the tennis shoes or the, um, the style as he did about the actual content. And he hit a level of both intellectual curiosity and musical expression. And I never did find out how much of that was because of Gene and how much of that was just Chris. I didn't care, like, but it definitely felt like with Chris, there was a whole different, he was just, from that point forward, you just knew whatever he was involved in, you were going, okay, now this is gonna be a totally separate thing. And frankly, I often felt that if the mainstream rap world had ever had access to really take him seriously, and if Chris had a little bit more, or maybe any, sense of self-promotional instinct, mm -hmm. um, he could have been an enormous star. But the times I interacted with him, he was just so humble and so about the work and about, it just it wasn't in his nature to, to do that. I'm feeling frustrated, frequently by flows being fed to me on FM frequencies, formats of raps that lack energy, destiny, originality, and it be stressing me. Well, I met Chuck D a few years ago, and honestly, when I talked to Chuck D for a little bit, that was the only person in the hip-hop world that has ever reminded me of Chris. Hmm. Chuck had a public persona as public enemy that 
that was definitely that part didn't remind me of Chris at all because right. Chuck D and Public Enemy and all that stuff was on TV was one thing. Right. But hanging out with him mm-hmm. and talking about his his passion for education, his intellect, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you remind me of this guy. And it made me cue up SFC. Like, Did you play it for him? No, nah, we, were at, we were at South by Southwest and uh-huh. I didn't have access to it. Like, right. and that would not have been appropriate. Okay. But, but it, I mentioned Chris to him, uh-huh. you know, just like, and in fact, I would be shocked if he wasn't an influence on Chris at the sure. time, but I just had only ever, back in those days, my exposure to Public Enemy was still the cartoon side of it. Like, the, right. I, I wasn't getting, in 1990, right. 91, I wasn't understanding the subtleties of it. I was reacting to the MTV version of it. Right. Flat on the derriere, pulls off dusty, elbows and knees, scratched up and bruised. Like Bobby Blair, boy, I got you singing the blues as I keep the good news like a football. I can't be coming out soft like a Nerf ball, not at all, man. You know that's not how we go. SFC stomp the canyon holes as the beat So much of this stuff about who gets famous and who gets successful, some of it is out of your hands and it's just fluke of luck. Mm -hmm. But some of it has to do with who has that instinct in them to just set all other priorities aside and chase fame. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Dre has a lot of obviously musical instincts, but also a ton of business, promotional hunger and kind of cutthroat he'll just do whatever it takes to get where he wants to be and when you hung out with Chris you just never sensed that kind of thing he was just a servant as we all should be <laughs> oh absolutely yeah. and I'm saying he's that's probably why he's in yeah. a much better place in life as a person right and I I actually revere him and artists like him so much more because of that my favorite hip-hop record of all time without a doubt is freedom of souls caught in the land of time i remember a summer i was working for my dad's electrical engineering shop and my job was to exterminate all these insects on this uh, lot where all this grass had grown up and also pick up all these gym bottles that there was two winos that were living under the, the trailers in this area had thrown and just broken you know got drunk whatever it's funny because the company actually let them live there and this is not has anything to do with so except that every day I listen to that and it got me through that that it was a terrible job because you know you're out in the sun you're oh, getting yeah. bit by the, the the things you're trying to exterminate and you, I have gin, biting back I have cooked gin in my nostrils at all time and sadly to say also the, the homeless guys that didn't smell so good uh, right uh, but anyway so all this it, it, will, it will always have a special place in my heart whenever I drive by that area in Evansville Indiana where it used to be Swanson Nun was the place those beats come back in my head of a uh, you know, piece 586. Yeah. You know, the thing I loved about Freedom of Soul and what I've, I miss about just that era of rap music, and I guess there's a little bit of it kind of coming back, is the musicality of it. It's felt like we lost a lot of that. And Peace had a sense of melody in what he was doing that 
it brought a lot more people into the tent. You know, rap music, kind of like any other genre, there there can be versions of it that, whether it's jazz or metal or country, there can be versions that are very welcoming, they're very accessible, mm-hmm. and then there's stuff that just puts up barriers and only people that are the most hardcore aficionados get it. And Freedom of Soul was one of those things that almost anybody could just get welcomed into the tent because there was both in the vocal style that he used, there was that that sing-songy style to his voice. And then there was just that that gentle melody, melodicism throughout it. And the tracks were full of music. They were full of instruments playing music. Well, it's the peaceful one, the soul swinger. I'm a thing that rhymes forward, towards the lesson for the biggest love. The love I have, it never changes, never rearranges. Strangers be asking me, what up with that blasphemy? Nah, brother, nah, sister. Now, first of all, let me say that this. Is a track where I like to express progress I never regret the thing about my love This is back before you had to get clearance So you probably right. <laughs> This has been said about a lot of records Like the, the BC Boys, Paul's Boutique for example right. uh, I would say Freedom of Souls, Cotton Land of Time Even SFC's Say Man in Jungle There's so many samples yeah. on those records That it would be impossible Or you would have just a, an enormous budget To get clearance Because right. like with Freedom of Soul he, I know they sample the Beatles They sample Al Green uh, they sample, I think, Slave, that band. In effect, spreading the truth around the way. From New York straight to L.A. Living my life real positive. And when you see that's what I give, cause I don't play that. No, I don't play that. No, I don't play that negative mess. Drink a pour or smoke that cess. Cause that's not the life for a true winner. You couldn't get away with that now. And having worked in publishing for 10 years and cleared a bunch of samples for hip-hop records. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember... Uh, years ago, getting a request from uh, Eminem for an Andre Crouch sample. And really? Thought, Are you kidding me? Like, oh is this goodness. really happening? But yeah, a lot of times these DJs they just go through used record stores and find old vinyl, and they just listen until they find a hook that they like, and then they build a whole new song around that hook. Now, that was r- similar to what was going on with Peace, and that's what a lot of the early hip hop guys were doing. They were just—it was a pastiche of different old stuff but the stuff that he was referencing and sampling was so much more musical it wasn't just a james brown drum fill mm-hmm. you know it was horns and guitars and and then the way that he was rapping on it and stuff had a lot more musicality to it played that in the, on the overhead system at True Tunes, I remember, a lot. And a lot of times rap was not something uh, that we would play a lot in the store because, again, it would turn a, a lot more people off than on. Same thing with metal. There was a lot of metal stuff that I might want to listen to. But then when King's X came along, it was like, oh, everybody can dig this because there's so much melody in it. And honestly, I think with music, it gets kind of simple. If, the mel- if there's melody there, Westerners, we respond to melody. Mm-hmm. You know, we we like the rhythm, we like the beat, but when we lose the melody, we lose the plot. Mm-hmm. And rap music, modern rap music, has really lost 
the plot. Mm. Um, even even not rap, even just urban alternative stuff in R&B music has lost. It's very monotone. Yes. Like Beyonce. I, Which I mean, is a shame because she's yeah. such a great singer. Yeah. Some people, I think, are monotonous because they can't not be. She clearly mm-hmm. isn't. That's not the case. Right. And so there's just cultural trends. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the zeitgeist is towards this almost entirely rhythm, almost no melody, and then of course, where is the vocalist gonna go? If there's no melody happening in the band, then there's no melody happening in the vocal. And if that's what the culture is doing, then that's what the artists do. But that will correct itself. The pendulum will swing out of that ditch into something else. Sure. Um, Just like it did into and out of disco and whatever else. Mm -hmm. But in that late 80s, early 90s era of hip hop and rap, there was some really musical stuff going on. And only later did I go back and find some cool 70s funk records and realize how much of that stuff reminded me of mm-hmm. that. So Freedom of Soul, and then what Peace has gone and continued to do, even though he's evolved musically and he's kept up with production techniques and all that kind of stuff, he still has, he's still active, he's still doing stuff that's, that's pushing into the rhythmic tendencies of what's happening, but he's still got that sense of melody in what he does. And it's another one that I'm always amazed hasn't cracked through. Although I would say that he had a lot more influence on groups like Tunnel Rats and some other um, hip hop groups that you can kind of see the the peace slash freedom of soul DNA, that that pollen spread um, pretty early and it influenced a whole other generation of artists that he ended up working with as a producer and stuff throughout the 90s and, and still in some cases. So it's cool that he's still after it. I'm the rage for my people that locked in the cage. I'm the flame for my brother who lived with no name. I am the voice of a shorty that died with no choice. There's no choice I had but to be this bad and travel through the land with a mic in my hand. Give me a fat kiss. Let's get up, let's get down. Uh, the third of the great trinity of the the brainstorm artists, I think, and I and I, I don't want to dismiss the other ones because I loved Idol King as well, and there's a few others, but the Dynamic Twins. They were the biggest in terms of sales. Really? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, I could be wrong. I should preface it, everything I ever say in life. Like, every morning when I wake up, I should just yell out to the universe, I might be wrong, but... Yeah, and just but I don't think head. I am, to right. quote Bill Melanie. Right. One thing about Dynamic Twins was that they were, from the True Tunes perspective, they were the most uh, successful. Like, we had more demand for them than any of the other groups. Uh-huh. Um, we sold more of that. Uh, right out of the gate from the first record um, it was uh, people loved it and we could play it in the store and people dug it it was very easy to understand where they were coming from Um, it was very accessible one thing about dynamic twins I always appreciated was that they seemed to and, and when I interacted with them personally they were just very obviously ministry minded like they were almost approaching it like gospel artists not like hip-hop artists who happened to be Christians. They were gospel artists who happened to do hip-hop. I do remember Gene telling me about them, and we reviewed them in True Tunes. I 
hung out with them somewhere. I can't remember if it was at Cornerstone or if it was at GMA Week or whatever, and just really liked the guys. Brother, brother, sister, 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 brother, blind to the fact you can't see. Read the words of wisdom, cause the life that you live in ain't what it's supposed to be. You live in like the ways of the system, so that makes you a sucked up victim. Hungry for the money and material things, for your own self-pleasing. But it's only gonna last for a season. And the twins, their name Robbie and Noel. Oh yeah, right. And they're tall. Really? Gentlemen. What are they doing being successful in a short right. man's world? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and being a tall drink of water myself, it was nice to be around normal-sized people. That's right. Um, <laughs> For the folks listening, we were just having a discussion off camera uh, about how to be successful in the music industry, you must be short. Right. Go ahead. And I'm 6'4". Yeah. Uh, which is my only reason I'm not a rock star. 6'1", the no. same here. The only <laughs> ignore the lack of talent, the, 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 the lack of good looks. If I had just, just been a little shorter. So, um, okay, this is what I recall. And I'm going to caveat that there's a chance that a couple of other stories over the years have colored this memory. I do recall Gene calling me at True Tunes once and saying, John, you got any indie bands that are ready to have their record released? And I was like, oh, because we always had independent artists sending our, their demos to us. We had bins full of independent music, always, but just boxes and boxes of it. Sure. And I used to have to get people to come help go through it because I didn't have time to listen to it all. So I would have friends come in and open packages and listen and then separate out the stuff that was halfway decent from the stuff that we just knew was terrible. Right? Mm -hmm. And then I would go through the stuff that was halfway decent and listen to it myself, and then that was where our our reviews and stuff came from. And then over time, I, I ended up trusting our staff and some other friends that weren't staff more and more with that because as I was running a club and a mail order company and a magazine and an indie label, I my time was harder and harder to come by and my friends had really good tastes and so I could really trust them. So there was this bin, it was like a US mail plastic bin in the back room at True Tunes that was like, the good stuff bin, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was where tapes and CDs that I really needed to listen to that had been vetted two or three times by smart people, that was that bin. So Gene called me one day and he said, what do you have that I could just release? Like he was looking for a record that was ready to go. And um, I was like, oh man, I'm sure I got some good stuff in here. And I don't remember what all, honestly, that I Pitched. recommended mm -hmm. to him. And, uh, but I gave him several leads. Some years later, somebody told me that, that maybe the band Dig Jesus that they put out came from that conversation. I don't know if that's true or not. But what I also heard some years later was that it was the Dynamic Twins that precipitated that conversation because the distribution model that all these companies were operating under, all these companies meaning Brainstorm as well as several other indie labels like them, they had a distribution deal. In their case, it was with Word. And Word would basically pay them in advance of a certain amount of money for every record that they put out. And whatever the difference was between that advance and what it actually cost them to make the record was what they lived on, mm -hmm. right? So. I don't know what the I don't want to guess at what those numbers were, but you know, if they could if they could clear four or five thousand dollars margin between what it actually cost them to secure the record and get it released and what that advance was, then that went to their overhead and and their payroll. Right. The only problem would ever come is if 
any of those records actually recouped that $25,000 or 20000 or fifteen or whatever it was advance. Because the way that the distribution company worked is they're issuing you an advance against sales. Well, once they sell enough to recoup that advance, then you owe that artist some more money, but the company is going to apply earnings to other records that are not recouped, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if you put out 10 records in a year and each one is different states of recoupment and one of them is doing really well, the other ones are not doing really well, that the really that's going to prorate out and you might find yourself suddenly owing a band royalties but not having any cash on hand to pay them royalties because... That sounds like everything wrong with collectivism, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, Why does it work? Or speculation, you know, yeah. because um, you kind of have a model that's based on nothing ever recouping. That's terrible. <laughs> right, right, right. But it, what it did was it gave us all some really good music. Because right. Because the, the fact is most of these records that we all love had no business being... Right commercially no business being made uh -huh. you know as much as i love those records the market didn't demand those sure. records but the industry subsidized them and an, an ecosystem evolved well from what i understand dynamic twins sold well enough that gene was in a spot where he needed something to put out so he could get another advance check uh -huh. to pay the dynamic twins their royalties and he was clamoring for some cool music that would fit the brainstorm vibe. The way I heard it was that's how Dig Jesus got a record deal. I'm not sure how much of that is true, <laughs> but I like the thought of it because I like the fact that Dynamic Twins, of all of those groups, that it was Dynamic Twins that finally becomes, uh, that proves the concept, you know. I, I guess it's kind of ironic because you've got albums like, you know, Adam again's homeboys and some just genius records in that in that world and then you've got dynamic twins uh -huh. and that's the one and that that is a lesson that anybody getting in the music world should learn and take to heart uh -huh. is that what the market wants and what sells is not always what we the gatekeepers and the thing about those guys is from what I understand, I haven't talked to them in a long time, but I, I never saw anything different from them off stage than on. They were very ministry-minded. They were very sincere. I thought that their performances had a lot of confidence. Like, they did bring a little bit more of that rap bravado, but in a very cool gospel kind of way that I hadn't seen as much. There was a lot of the other artists, they, they really focused more on the artistry side of it. And so they lent themselves a little bit more to that brooding, creative thing, um, which worked for the kind of music that they were doing, whether it was Chris and SFC or Freedom of Soul or some of the other groups that were doing that. They were, they were more functioning like rock bands in that way. The Dynamic Twins were like up there at the front of the stage, just in your face and unapologetic like a punk band, but doing rap. Time. I'm living this lifestyle. Since I was a little child, it's been too wild. Now I've grown up, things gotten hard. Can't walk the street unless I 
got some to say, man. Drop the mic. Yo, man, put that mic so down. Drop the mic. Yo, man, drop the mic. D-Boy, Danny Rodriguez. Danny Rodriguez, man, what a kid. It seems like I remember having his first record, or it was a cassette in those times, and then the next thing I hear, he's dead. Yeah, but Danny, unlike a lot of the other guys, I actually got to spend a good amount of time with Danny because he came to Chicago. I was trying to remember the details about this, but he was just a little bit younger than me, but not much. This would have been around the time I was 19, so he was maybe... Maybe he was the same age as me, now that I think about it. Um, this is the late 80s. He had done his first record, and then I think we met around the time of that. So True Tunes was one of the only music stores in the Christian music world. Most of the time, people had to buy their music at bookstores, mm -hmm. and we were a music store. And we, we didn't focus on just Christian market stuff. We did a lot of independent music, and... The magazine that I put out actually would do one page on hip-hop and rap in every issue, which nobody else was talking about. I mean, there was not much of a market for that kind of music, but we were trying, and we genuinely liked it. In fact, I think one of the first artist in-store appearances we ever did was with the band P.I.D., hmm. Preachers in Disguise. And so whenever a new rap, hip-hop artist came out, the labels definitely sought out True Tunes and brought them by and all that kind of stuff. But with Danny, he did something at True Tunes. He did some kind of an in-store appearance. But I feel like he stayed at my apartment for several days at one point. Um, <laughs> you were thinking several months. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> he wouldn't leave. No, no, no. Um, but he had a thing where he was, um, he was up in Chicago, and I remember driving him around to multiple high schools and he did assemblies in high schools. and Just, that they, were they planned or? or? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. But I had no idea how how well planned this was. I, And again, this is a long time ago, so I'm trying to remember the details. I remember somebody saying, hey, um, Danny's coming to town, want to do something at True Tunes, but we could use some help. He needs to get from this school to this school to this school. I feel like it was at least three things in one day and a place to stay. And I'm like, well, he can crash at my apartment. My apartment was the second floor of a condemned house. In if there was a bad street in Wheaton, not neighborhood, but one street, it was this one street. <laughs> yeah, this, it was the, an old house that they were gonna tear down to build up multi-million dollar townhouses, and so they weren't gonna fix it. And so my roommates and I got to rent it dirt cheap for a while. So it was a rat hole, but he stayed there for a few days. I can't remember how long. But that meant that we basically hung out, mm -hmm. had meals together. He hung out at the store when I had to be at the store. And then I drove him around, and it wasn't Wheaton. I drove him around the city of Chicago in some pretty bad neighborhoods in what was probably my 1981 red Chevette at that point in time. And we had just a little, not much gear to take, just like some, some tapes and stuff. And I would basically be his roadie mm -hmm. and his road manager kind of a person. His tape tech. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, and he would go do these assemblies at the schools and get up and share his life story about growing up in the projects in Houston. And the thing was, he was doing public school events in rough neighborhoods of Chicago, and he was able to just share his story, and kids flocked to it. I mean, really? I'm talking 
auditoriums full of kids. And it was black kids, Hispanic kids, white kids, not usually all at the same time because segregated neighborhoods. But it wasn't just one kind of kid that resonated with his stuff. And he would do some of his music and he would talk. And then he would do a song and then he would talk. And they were just as riveted by him talking as they were by his music. Not stuck on, stuck, no spotlight me. No puffed up deep, cause I'm not conceited. I refuse to act like I think I'm all that. For those who act whack, man, what do you call that? I'm nothing, hear me? Nothing but a tool. When God wants to use me, I just say cool. And in fact, at one point, I remember thinking, is he going to do any more music? Because he's just talking. Mm -hmm. But then the kids were just as, as on the edge of their seats by his stories. Mm -hmm. And he had a gift for, for sharing that in a way that was just this side of preaching, because he was in public schools, that I just hadn't seen before. And so then we'd get in my crappy little car and be driving to the next school. And he'd be saying, so how, how do you think that went? And I, I'm just like, man, i never seen anything like this before. Because in my world, it was like, you're playing at a rock club, trying to incorporate your faith in a way that doesn't get you kicked out. Like, you're trying to be as subtle as you can. And, <laughs> yeah, because like, the, the bar's mad. Yeah, yeah. Is this song about Jesus or a girl? That kind of stuff. And yeah. he's in there talking about life or death, like right. dodging bullets and, um, and talking to kids who aren't, unfortunately, going to live long lives. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about Jesus in a way that was just very very real and the thing is back in the car back at the restaurant back at the apartment it was what mattered to him and we connected and so we stayed in touch and he'd call me every so often and and we were really clicking as friends and i wanted to do more like i i was so taken by what he was doing i was also with this little church i was just starting to um, fall in with this little church in aurora which is the second largest city in illinois and has a lot of gang issues I wanted to bring Danny out to do some of what he was doing in Chicago in Aurora. And so we were talking about that. We were going to do uh, a big concert in Aurora, like some kind of outdoor thing. And um, So he was totally excited about that. And I was going to use the True Tunes kind of, it was still early in the True Tunes phase. In fact, I don't even remember if this was before True Tunes had its own location or if it was still part of Wheaton Religious, I can't remember. But, but we were talking and I, I feel like his, either his mom or his sister was very involved with his music and his ministry stuff. And his family was all like, he came from a ministry family in Houston. Um, they were all involved in the same church. Mm -hmm. And so he was preaching on Sundays and you know, like it was his life. It was, that was his thing. And then the rap thing was like his calling card, but he was ever, he was a pastor, he was a minister. And he did his second project. And then it was gonna be like a couple months later that he was going to come up and do this thing. And because I'd seen what he did and he had more opportunities, because once you start doing those school assemblies, if you can raise support and cover your expenses and stay somewhere, because they don't pay you mm -hmm. to do it, those doors just fly open. Mm -hmm. So he could have done every public school in Chicago. So the thing we were thinking about trying to do was like, could we do something for a week or, or 10 days where he's basically doing assemblies two, three a day and then taking a break most nights, but then a concert or two at night that are more like full-blown B-boy mm -hmm. concerts and then pulled together. There was a rap group from Jesus People that played at Cornerstone Festival. We'd cause and effect, we'd have them play and you know some other things. But we were talking all the time. In fact, we talked just, I feel like it was a couple of days before he got killed. And so it was definitely, it was just devastating to find out that he had been killed. Like. I was wrecked. You look at my producers and say they're all white boys, but we got the talents to make the right noise. Me, Tim, 
When we create, you know it's on Flow time, hey, you know I'll go I'm on a roll with soul, it's showtime You need the mic, I never the bike, it's not time to be a showdown Yo, chill, hold up, let me slow down Back to the beat Explain the, what they know of the situation What I recall was that it was early morning And he was shot in his car And it's been a long time since this happened and I remember even hearing you didn't have internet back then so. yeah I think I remember that he was he had been on a date and he had taken yeah. the gal home and somewhere in there after that he, he was shot right but the what I never what I don't know if I ever understood clearly was was he intentionally shot or was he caught by something in the crossfire uh, that was not intended for him right um, straight bullet or something right yeah. which wouldn't have been that surprising in that part of Houston it was just unbelievable because honest to goodness like that guy his music was good and it was getting like his the diff the growth between his first and his second record wow no mic got grip tight I flat my lip right I keep around to come and way past midnight and hey the kid might suck the lip tight cause every time I open my phone with a dip bite brethren I'm beseeching teach preach and reach ya cause I'm a brand new creature all things have passed away I'm new again same step up cause I'm a do your thing and then, you know, you start to think of the, the way the doors were opening and you get some other producers involved and some other musicians with his basic flow talents and his communication instincts. It could have been a whole other thing. But to me, that was all secondary to the fact that he was like a budding evangelist and had this instinct for, this, for a Hispanic-flavored Puerto Rican kind of... Uh, it was just cool, and it was there was nobody that I'd heard of that was doing it with that particular flavor. And oh my gosh, I just was I was wrecked. Like any time, we weren't best buddies or anything like that. But just the momentum that you felt like you you had going on, it just was so random and so it was not a self-inflicted. He was doing something reckless. He was, you know, other than just. And he wasn't a guy who was just coasting. I mean, he obviously right. every minute of the day he was up to something. Right. right. Yeah. One thing I found, I'm touring town to town, is that people are accepting our sound is creative, created by the creator. Satan tries to keep up. See you later. Demons on the run. When I speak, always pop a trash before you're weak. I remember it, one of the the GMAs in Nashville, Tennessee. I, I had no business being there really, but me and another friend, Big Wayne Felber, I believe that's who it was. We would hang around in the lobby just to kind of see people, and every once in a while something cool would happen. I remember, you know, somebody got on the piano, just kind of sitting there, and, they, and people would have start singing, you know, hymns or gospel songs or whatever. But anyway, I sit there, and I think I was talking to Wayne, and I said something about D Boy, and this girl, this little tiny thing, yeah. sitting on a couch nearby, she popped up and said, "That's my brother," yeah. and it was MC Gigi, and I, I had her tape yeah. as well. I can't remember if her record came out while Danny was still alive, but yeah. I know that, of course, her one of her big tracks, because one of Danny's first big tracks was uh, Drop the Mic, yeah. and her song that she recorded after he passed was I Caught the Mic, right. and it's kind of almost the same sample, a right. little different. You see, I caught the mic, the spray in my hands, they all dropped it and stopped after hearing Dan, because he told them all to drop the MIC, then I heard the voice say, pick it up, GC, I remember that time not long ago, when he passed me the mic and told me to float. She was a little spitfire, too. Yeah. She was something yeah. else. Yeah, I do remember that GMA, and I remember her, obviously, um, when that when she came out. I think she might have been 14 or something. She was younger, for sure, but we were all young. Right, well, <laughs> so yeah. it's like... like how a 14-year-old seems like a, a toddler when you're 19. But like I said, it was a family ministry 
thing. There were other siblings involved in the in the church as well. I know. Mm-hmm. That's wild that you just happened to mention while she happened to be. Yeah, it's a coincidence. There. Yeah, that's wild. And I remember, of course, she was pretty and kind of like a tiny crush on her, just talking to her. But she had a scar on her face. I, yeah. I can't remember if it was a, you know, a cat had done it, or, or I can't remember what she... Well, I don't think I was like, right. hey, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> <laughs> but I think maybe someone told me later. Remember that time you caught him back home? Told him God was waiting while they went on my own. And I can't forget that jam God's house. You showed him my brother the house is about. If you'd like to hear more of the dulcet tones of Mr. Thompson's voice, you can check out In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, episode 125, perhaps where he gives an account of the epic story of True Tunes, which also intersects with some of the artists and labels we talked about today. In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram by searching for Spun Counter Guy. You can send us an email via SpunCounterGuy at Hotmail.com. The podcast is also hosted on iTunes and podbean.com. Peace and chicken grease. Hit me. Yo, G, man, when you told me to drop the mic, yo, I caught it. Peace, love,